Can I just encourage you with something as we prepare for today's message? As Pastor Alex, you saw the video perhaps before we got started today, and we're kind of spending time talking about this concept of honor today, uh, particularly uh, as how that concept of honor impacts us in our relationships. Now, uh, if you're like me, I don't spend any time on cable TV at all. Not for 30 years now have I seen what's on cable. Well, every now and again, I'm in the hotel somewhere and I do get a chance to see it. Are you fixing that or am I? Can I turn up my sensitivity? My wife has been asking me that for quite some time. You want me to turn it up or down? Well, down, I guess. Down? There is a difference. Okay, you good? You happy back there? Because I really care about the fact that you're happy back there. Okay, as part of my increasing my sensitivity, there you are. So if you've if you spent any time on cable television or really to get a grip on what has been happening inside of our culture, you recognize that this culture, this concept of honor uh, is in crisis mode in the world around us. Uh, you know, there used to be a time when we would refer to powerful people in our lives by their title. Now we just refer to them by their last name, if at best. Um, and so what's happening to us as we are doing that, what we are watching being eroded all around us is potentially one of the most powerful and important principles that are at the root or are the pillars that are holding up the very culture that we would each be able to honestly tell the world from here till kingdom come that is, has built the greatest culture of all times. And we've built it not understanding perhaps or losing the understanding of what those pillars are that are at the base of our system and why our system works so well. And we're gonna spend some time talking about that today. When you're looking at it for your own life, first of all, uh, you know, let's make sure that we are honoring the people that are around us. Maybe the ones that are at a distance are sometimes the easiest to honor. But we're gonna also talk about some of the people that are very close to us who are in the more intimate and close relationships that we have in our lives to make sure that as we are discussing here, that we're being careful to build uh, relationships upon uh, this uh, infinitely important pillar in our lives. That pillar we're going to talk about today is honor. And so I, the, when my senses I started preparing for today, I, I had this deep sense that we are on thin ice. It was a great metaphor for me, a picture that came into my mind about how, you know, you could be standing, and we have, they've, uh, the town built us a, a, a lake, it's a pond actually, but we refer to it as lakefront property now, so they built this across the road from us, uh, and I saw kids out there the other day, it had frozen over, and they were playing hockey out there and doing all that wonderful stuff, which is, uh, you're invited to come and, and share with them in that, but the picture that I had was the time of, of when ice begins to thaw, you know, the kids can be playing out there and having a blast, not realizing that underneath their feet, the thin, the ice, the, the structure, the, the hard force that is holding them up out of the water could be thinning. And I have a deep sense of that in our culture today as some of, and maybe the things we're all gonna discuss this week, this month together, some of these relationship principles are those very principles that perhaps through no fault of our own, have just, uh, we've just allowed them to slip away. As a matter of fact, we would have magnified or even honored 
the opposite forces in our life, the forces of individuality and the forces that say, I'm just as important as the president of the United States. And while that is intrinsically true, there is a place where we honor those people who are in positions. We honor those people who sacrifice for our lives. We honor those people who are important to us, who God brings into our lives all the time. It is so important that we become students of this principle of honor. If we want not only that, that our lives would go well, our families would go well, our churches and our communities would go well, but in fact, the very fabric of the world around us hinges upon some of these infinitely important principles. I refer to it as the Haman paradox. If you remember a fellow named Haman out of the Old Testament, the book of Esther, he's kind of like the bad guy, the evil uh, genius that is in the, uh, this cool twist-turning story that we find in the Bible of Queen Esther. The problem with Haman was that he desired to be honored. It was very important to him when he was given a, a, a significant position uh, by King Azuerus that, that as Haman wandered through the town that very next day on, in his new garb and his new position, he definitely wanted everybody in the town, everybody in the city to be bowing down and to making reverence to him, honoring him in his new position. He was quite put out when he wanders down this particular alleyway where a fellow Mordecai was uh, doing business or uh, you know, doing his thing. And Mordecai did not bow down to him. But Mordecai was a Jewish person, made it plain that he was Jewish. That wasn't an awesome thing to say back in those days. But he made it plain that he was Jewish and that he did not bow down to anybody but the Lord God. And that, that infuriated Haman. It infuriated him so much that he set in motion to plan and plot against this, this fellow, Mordecai, in order to get him uh, to be hanging from the gallows that he built on the backside of the palace. You see, what Haman was not realizing was if you dig, what, what Proverbs tells us that we often dig holes that we fall into ourselves, that we, we need to be careful when we roll rocks down the hill that they don't come up the other side, turn around and come back over and flatten us. That's what Haman was doing is he was planning to receive honor. It, he was desperate to be honored. And he was going to do whatever it took in order to make sure that that happened. What we find out in Esther chapter 6, is the, as that chapter unfolds, we find King Azuerus having a dream. A dream that, and, and he wakes up in a start, realizing that there had been an occasion in the past where a plot to poison the king uh, was afoot. And that in fact, Mordecai, the per, this person that Haman despised, was the person who prevented that plot from killing the king. And then he realized as he woke up that he had not done anything to congratulate or to thank Mordecai. You see, what God was doing in the background was he was making sure that because Mordecai honored God, that God was going to honor Mordecai. Even in spite of the fact that Haman was desperately plotting, matter of fact, at this very night, building a gallows, building a set of of, of a wood, wooden stage in order to hang this fellow Mordecai the very next morning. The king wakes up and has this dream and is, real, and, and is, and is almost frantic because he, he now realizes that I have a debt to pay. I have this person who has done this infinitely awesome thing for me and I just passed it off and did not reward that person and the king is burdened by it. So much so that he sees when he wakes up and walks into his court, he sees across the back there that Haman, I think that's Haman out there. 
And he, and he calls to Haman and says, Haman, I need you to come in here. I have a favor for you. I want to honor somebody and I want you to help me. And you see the plot's about to twist very dramatically at this moment as Haman in his own mind, that mind that is craving after whatever honor would be available, that he would make sure that he's in the right position to seize hold of that thing. And he starts to think to himself, wow, there's nobody greater in the kingdom that the king would want to honor but me. I have so carefully and surreptitiously put myself into exactly the right position. I know what the king is asking. He doesn't know what I want. So he's created a hypothetical situation in order to get me exactly what I would want. This is what's going on inside of Haman's twisted and evil mind. And so he tells the king, this would, but he gives him a whole shopping list of things. This is what you should do. You should not give him money. You should not give him lands. You should array him with special bits and pieces of, of clothing and jewelry so that everybody in the town, would, everybody in the city would know across the whole wide world. Everybody would know that the king's right-hand man is Haman. So he sets it in motion and he starts to get ready for that. And the king says, awesome. That's what I want you to do to my dear friend, Mordecai, oh, could you hear Haman's chin hit the floor when he says, who? He was unaware that what God had been doing in the background is that he had been plotting too. Yeah, you don't want to plot against God. Can I tell you that right now? God knows how to get done what he needs to get done. We find out before the, this few chapters of the Bible close that the gallows that, Mordecai, that Haman had been built, building for Mordecai, he'd been building a pit that he was about to fall in himself. The very gallows that he designed, that he salivated over hanging Mordecai from, he was about to hang from. This is the problem when it comes to honor. When we learn, when we grow in a culture that celebrates the ability for me to get honored, for me to have, to, to find a way, motivated by my own personal needs, to be honored by somebody else. Can I tell you something? That is a pit that you are, that you are dead, that we are digging, that we are going to fall into ourselves. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as we try and get through these notes. This is a, you have to bear with me for this. Most of you are maybe are perhaps not aware of my, my wonderful father passed before Christmas this year, the day before Christmas this year. Uh, I don't really talk about it a lot because it's not the time when we're celebrating Christmas. It's not the time to talk about those things. Plus, if you know me at all, you know that I need about 30 days to kind of talk about anything. But as I am preparing, as I was preparing and I was thinking about these, these ideas of honor... I think about my father. My father never met anybody that he didn't honor. I can tell you if I lined up all of my father's friends, my father's friends would have gone from one end of the economic spectrum to the other. There would be one of every color that God made. 
There could be men and women and old and young. There could be the smart and the not so. There could be the talented and not so. There would be all of those people in the room because my father did not care about what you did. He cared about who you were. And he showed that as he was able to celebrate people. He was able to hold his tongue. He was able to, to empower people all around him simply by his ability to love them for who they were. My father, and I'll tell you that my father passed away in his sleep. He died of a terrible, terrible disease, the same one that I'm going to die from, and that is the disease of old age. My father was not sick a day in his life. And can I tell you something? I believe that he was not sick a day in his life because he knew how to honor people. He never sought not one moment to be honored in his life. He was so accomplished. He did so many amazing things. I couldn't, I could take weeks to share with you his life and the things that he had, has, had done and the things that he had seen, the things that he had accomplished. But my father sat me down a number of years ago. Gosh, this had to be a couple decades ago now. And he talked, he was lamenting his time in Africa. As many of you know, I was born in, on the continent of Africa and in, in the country of Uganda where we now spend, uh, you know, we're, we're focused for our missions work. My father was there. He met my mother there. And they were there. They, after the Second World War, they came over to Africa. And they were very busy working with the, the nations that were there. It was a British thing that they were doing, not only British. There were other people, the Dutch and the French, were in there too and doing their thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he was there, he had this terrible experience with this concept of honor. And when he was talking with me about 20 years ago or so, he was lamenting this problem as he saw the work that he had done and millions of other people had done in Africa, in the nations of Africa. And he was lamenting the inability for him to explain something to the, to the nations and to the people, particularly the people who came to power in those nations. The, he said the problem was is that they did not honor their opposition. And because they did not honor their opposition, they were, their, their, their government systems were destined to fail. And even at that time in my life, I say, well, you know what? I don't think I would honor my opposition. I would like to bury them, in that matter of fact. I was a Christian at the time, but I maybe wasn't quite as sanctified. And my father's words of wisdom to me were very profound as I started to deeply look at this concept of honoring your opposition. Why our system works so well. Excuse me. Why our system has historically worked so well is that in spite of differences, in spite of disagreements, we honor our opposition. We treat their opinions, we treat their lives, we treat their ways of thinking and their perspectives with a deep and profound honor. That we might elect somebody to power, that, you know, you might have somebody in your pulpit, you might have somebody in your life, there may be a leader, there could be a, a, you know, a black and white car with lights on top of it coming after you and you honor those places of leadership and you honor those people because of the positions that they hold in our lives. We've been trained on how to do that. But I tell you, this is a slipping virtue in our culture and we need to get that back. My father taught me the essential ability that we must each have to honor our opposition, to honor someone who disagrees with you, to honor someone who does not honor you, to honor somebody, in fact, who does not deserve honor. 
in all of those things, what you do when you honor somebody is you open up your heart to that person to be able to receive from you. You, you literally, in that single moment, you open up your heart to allow yourself to have, to whatever measure is possible, a relationship with that person. If you do not honor that person, whether it be your spouse or your kids or your next door neighbor or your president or your, or your prime minister or whoever it would be, your pastor, your leader, your boss, if you don't open up your heart to honor that person, you will never be able to build a relationship with them. And we'll discover why in a moment. Let's establish first the difference between honor and two other words that we use in the English language, respect and esteem. Respect and esteem are things we give people willingly and intentionally because we esteem or respect something that they have done or something they have become. Honor is not like that. What that does is it takes honor and makes it a spiritual principle. Respect and esteem are something we give and receive based on accomplishments. You can't give somebody self-esteem because they participated. You can only give them self-esteem if you allow them to achieve something. And then once they have achieved something, I can notice what you achieved and I can give you esteem because of it. I can praise you and I can honor you and I can respect you and I can do all those things. And you will sense, not because I've given it to you without any foundation, but because I've given it to you because of something I have seen that you have accomplished. And I have said, good job, good work. That was amazing. But that's doing it. What is that doing? That's building self-esteem on the inside of you. Can I tell you something? Honor transcends that. My father taught me that you can honor somebody who you don't like, who you don't respect, who you don't esteem. Because honor comes as a spiritual principle. In fact, Plato himself even said that honor is second only to truth. And we would say, wow, how we value the truth. How we value God being able to release an understanding of the truth to us. Well, right underneath the truth is the ability to honor. And the thing that that does is set in motion Amazing things in our lives, amazing things in our families, amazing thing in our, things in our relationships. And then by extension of all that, when we become a culture of honor, we create a culture that literally is unstoppable. When we look at the scriptures and we understand then, okay, what does God have to say about the people that we're supposed to honor? I think we all remember that the Bible tells us to honor God. I don't think that's really hard to do. You know, because God's never made a mistake and he's done some pretty awesome things and he's, after all, God. Maybe more difficult for us to honor him with our substance. Honor him in such a way that is demonstrating that we honor him more than just in our minds and in our hearts. But, you know, we can all work on that stuff. But, you know, it tells us that we should nine times in scripture. Can I tell you something? When it says something nine times in scripture, all of us folk, we'll be paying attention. Can I tell you, it says, honor your mother and father. Nine times. Jesus said it many times. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the crossover gospels. And it's in the New Testament. So you are 
without excuse to honor your parents. Well, I guess why, he puts that, why God put that in there, because can I tell you something? Everybody has a gateway here. Everybody was 14, and everybody looked at their parents and found absolutely no reason to honor them. But we had to honor them anyways. We had to put, that, put them in a place of honor in our lives. Can I give you some of the other ones that God talks about? These are all you're going to find instructional to us because they are not the ones that we would potentially say are easy to honor. We can honor heroes and sports figures and rich people and accomplished people, the men who land on moons and all of those kind of things. But you know, the Bible doesn't even encourage us to do that. I feel perhaps because God knows we're going to honor those people anyways. Let me talk about some of the things the Bible does say in, well, in Exodus, where God says it the first time, you'll find it in chapter 20, where you also find uh, the Ten Commandments, BTW, that we should honor our parents. In 1 Peter, it says that, that us men are to honor our wives. How many of you know that sometimes it's not, I'll go over here to talk about this, sometimes it's not easy to do that. But it, what we do is these people who are the closest to us, who know us the very best and who we know the very best, sometimes we can find enough excuses why we don't need to honor them. Can I tell you something? You are destroying your marriage by not honoring your spouse. All the men there should say, ouch, and all the women should say, great, except for the fact that right before that scripture, it does say that wives are to obey their husbands. And so anyways, moving right along. In 2 Peter, it says to honor the king. How many of you know sometimes it's not easy to honor the king? How many of you know sometimes they do stuff that's good for the state, but bad for you? Sometimes they know stuff that you don't know and do stuff that you don't understand. When it says honor the king, that word for king there is leader of the people. Doesn't mean monarch. Or, so I, you ain't no monarch, so I'm not going to honor you. No, it's the leader. You people who are in those positions to know things, to have to make decisions that are sometimes and oftentimes extraordinarily difficult and contradicting decisions that have to be made. 1 Thessalonians says that we should honor the priests and our spiritual leaders. That might sound self-serving, but what we are doing oftentimes as leaders, even in this moment right now, you're going to receive from me or not based on whether you are opening your heart to honor me in the things that I'm saying. That's sometimes very difficult. I remember many times that people would come up to me and, you know, we have this practice of trying to create a mentorship environment here where, you know, the prior, you know, the important decisions of your life, you know, blown by somebody before you just jump into them. You know, you may be a little bit blinder than you think on some issues. I don't know if you knew that. And so we encourage people to do that and we're prayerfully trying to give them good guidance as best we can. But I remember one fellow coming up to me one day and he said, you know, he must have been, you know, asking for lots and lots and lots of things and the answers kept being no. And his question to me was, when is it going to be yes? My answer to him was, when it doesn't have to be. Because you see, God is very busy, oftentimes, bringing us to a place where we are set free from the things we think we need. But can I tell you something? There's a whole culture of people around you that are very uncomfortable with that entire principle. I have the right to do whatever the heck I want. Yes, you do. 
You still do, even after you get my advice. I tell people that, you know, they ask me sometimes, is, you know, can, I, can, I, can they give me some advice? And I tell them, I say, well, do I need to take it? <laughs> because if I need to take it, then keep it. <laughs> there we are. And so sometimes I'll ask people, like, you want my advice? I don't need to give you my advice. But if I do give it to you, don't feel bound to, you don't have to, if you don't, if you don't take my advice, you don't need to go to another church. I, I'm okay. Some people learn because they're advised to do it. Some people say because they uh, learn because they dug a ditch and fell in it. I'm okay with either one. I prefer the first one. Even for my own life, I prefer the first one. Seldom, no, not seldom. Sometimes, I don't take it either. The important part is to build a culture where we honor people who are very invested in your self-interest who care very deeply about where you're going and what your destiny is, who care very deeply about the kingdom of God and where it's going and how your life is important in that process. So it's important to honor those things. And the final one in Romans chapter 16, Paul says this, honor Phoebe. I'm thinking to myself, well, who's Phoebe? <laughs> Phoebe was, was from this little fishing town that was like in the middle of nowhere in Greece, and it wasn't in Athens, which was ways down the street. It wasn't in Corinth, which was way the heck over that way. It was just like in this place called Chenkria, which wasn't anywhere. It still isn't anywhere. <laughs> she was a woman. So, I don't know if you know much about the culture in that time. I do not subscribe to this culture at all. But if you know anything about it, that culture back then, women were kind of on the same level as donkeys. And so Paul is showing up and he's saying, honor a woman from where? Especially the Greek people. The Greek people is Athens and Corinth, you know, the great centers of, of, of in intellect and, and commerce, you know. I mean, at least be from there. Not some podunk fishing town in the middle of nowhere. Paul shows up and says, my father would love this scripture, honor Phoebe. The least, uh, not that she was the least, perceived to be. What's God doing? God is, he's helping us to realize honor transcends all of these soulish things of respect and esteem. You got to focus to honor people who you don't esteem. Uh, honor the ones you do too. Yeah, good, good, good on you. But honor the ones you don't. Practice it. Learn how to do it. Jesus talks about that. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 14 when he talks about when you go to a banquet, don't be the person who goes to that banquet trying to see where the head table is so that you can find your spot on that head table. Jesus himself is saying, don't do that. Don't be a person like Haman who is going everywhere looking to find out how do I position myself in such a way that I can get the greatest portion of honor that would be available. Instead, he says, humble yourself. Take the low place and allow God to do the honoring. Can I tell you something? Uh, it's in my notes here. It's, uh, honor can only be given or received. It cannot be taken. If it is taken... It is not honor. It is a placebo. It's a counterfeit. It's fake. James also tells us, Peter re repeats this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and, I hate these words, at 
the right time, which is obviously God's right time, not my right time. He says, at the right time, he will make sure to honor you. Now, let's talk a quick, as I, as I am in the last 60 seconds of, I'm not going to get it all the way. What is honor? Honor, there's two words for honor. One found in the Old Testament, kabod, and in the New Testament, tameo. In, uh, kabod means to make weighty, heavy, glorious, great, and honorable. In the New Testament, the word that we find as honor is to revere and to affix a great intrinsic value. Honoring someone opens up your heart to receive from them. People honor people who honor people. If you want, George Washington says, be honorable if you desire the company of honorable people. So let's take a look at three quickies on how do we do that. Look at all your relationships, all the people that matter to you, all the people that you would say, you know what, I could sure use for that relationship to just come up a bit. In a world where Facebook and Instagram and all of our disconnecting forces in our lives cause us to call relationships or call things relationships that, that are not relationships. How do you honor friend number 74? Number one, if you want some practical tips on honoring, number one is learn to listen. Relationships come from hearing them and being heard by them. Pro the progress is in the aggregate of both. If only one person is being heard, nothing is changing in the relationship. If you don't listen, can I tell you something? People only listen to you to be polite or get paid. Don't listen while you are thinking of the next thing that you have to say. Don't interpret or finish their sentences. Don't interrupt, rather, or interpret. Don't interrupt or finish their sentences. And don't check your phone while they're talking. Practice getting a text and not looking at it. Can you all do that? Ding! the miracle relationship destroyer. Number two, accept what they are saying is legitimate. And you're all Christian folk going to be really challenged by that. Can I tell you something? That does not mean that you need to agree with them. Permission to accept them, but still disagree with them is a very progressive combination in a relationship. If I know that I can say something to Jason that, that he will completely disagree with, but that will not impact our relationship, that our love for one another is not dependent on whether we agree on this particular issue or not. If you are not giving permission to people in your life and you're not saying to them, I'm going to honor you just as much if I disagree with you as if I agree with you. That honor part of our relationship, that is never going to change. You need to give, if you want a better relationship with someone, you need to hear what they say, even if you don't like what they say. Can I tell you, there are no idiots. There are only people who disagree with you. Not all thinking is logical. It's not all creative. It's not all natural, and it's not all supernatural. <laughs> Everybody's thinking and perspectives are going to come from different viewpoints. They've lived different ways. They've learned different things. They've, under, they've had experiences. They've had all kinds of things that have gone on in their lives that change their perspective. But can I tell you, it is their real perspective. At least if you have given them permission to give you their real perspective. 
but they will never give it to you if you are going to call them an idiot for giving it, at least with your eyes. You will never grow together if you don't listen and legitimize what you are hearing as thoughtful perspective of a sentient being. Nobody is dumb on purpose. They all have their perspectives. You will, we will learn what the miracle of honoring our opposition is, as my father would say, when we learn how to legitimately listen to people who drastically and vehemently disagree with us. Out of the mouths of babes, in fact, even Jesus said, these are, he's, got, he's gathering the children around him as he's quoting out of the book of Psalms, and he says, it is out of these little ones' mouths that God has ordained praise. Truth coming forth. I'm watching this with my two-year-old granddaughter right now as she does and says things, and I marvel at her perspective, her grasp of things all around her. I'm, I'm marveling at it, and she's two. But if I treated her as though she was, uh, you know, as she was a two-year-old, and oh, what could, what could you possibly have to benefit my... No, I would miss this amazing perspective that has probably done more to revolutionize my life in the last two years than almost anything by watching and listening to what she sees and does. Finally, respond. I don't think we have trouble responding, but that's not all that it is. It's respond in a way that demonstrates you value their perspective. Can I tell you something? That's not an easy thing to do. When you disagree with somebody, when you, don't, when you have reason to dishonor them or to not respect them or to not esteem them, you know, those are going to be some of the things that are going to want to come spitting out of your mouth when a person shares something with you that you don't like. But when you, when you honestly listen to them, when you thoughtfully and carefully accept them for their honest opinion, and then you respond to them in such a way that it shows that you listened and that you, that you value them for their perspective. Here's how you would do that. One, you need to affirm them. Gee, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Practice that with me. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. <laughs> Number two, say back to them what you think they heard. I can tell you, 90 per, if, I, if I even asked you right now to share back with you the last six things I said, you would not be able to do it. At least you would not be able to do it to my satisfaction. And so when you say back to them the thing that they said to you, can I tell you something? It just absolutely revolutionizes the conversation because they realize you were actually paying attention to me. Do you know how few people pay attention to other people? You'll be amazed. You know, somebody shares their name with you and you remember it. Can you? They're amazed. You were actually listening when I told you my name? Number three, find a place of agreement. Now, some people you're going to talk to, it's going to be very, very hard for you to find a place of agreement. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I do agree his hair is orange. I do agree. If that's all you got, say it. And what you've done there is you have established with that person a place of agreement. You've established with that person a, 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 a common ground. We agree on something. Oh, good. Let's start from there. Number four, share your additional thoughts. Not in a, in a confrontational way. That's not necessary. You're not at war with this person. You're on the same side trying to figure out something. 
And when you do that, if you share your thoughts, you share them in a way, would you mind if I share a different perspective? Not, I would like to share with you the right perspective because in my mind, you are completely wrong. That's a really bad way to say what you're about to say. Do you know why? Because you just had, you've almost forced that person to shut you off and not listen. Does anybody in here like being told that they're wrong? That's not a good way to start. If you instead say, I really appreciate that you shared that with me. I do believe his hair is orange too. And I'd like to share a slightly different perspective about his economic principles. Uh, Are we okay? Yeah, we're okay. Then go ahead and share. Share what you've learned. Share what you believe. That's how we grow. That's how we come into relationship. That's where intimacy comes from. And finally, number five, don't hog the talking stick. Do you all know what a talking stick is? If you're talking for more than two breaths, you're hogging the talking stick. And you're being obnoxious. Don't hog the talking stick. So one... Respond to them in a way that affirms them. I'll get my list and I'm done. Are we all done for today? Two, say back to them what you heard them say. Three, find a place of agreement. Four, share your additional thoughts. And five, don't hog the talking stick. Put your hand over your heart and say this with me. Say, Lord, from now on, I'm going to be an honoring person. I don't care what my culture has taught me. There is no honor in dishonoring people. They're all valuable, they're all your children, and they all have something, young and old, to teach me. I'll never give them the chance to teach it to me if I don't honor them. Starting today, I'm building a rock-solid foundation in my life, a place where everything will go well with me, that I will live long on this earth, Because I've learned to honor people. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day and help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. 
Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.